It's a great privilege to be with you again. And um, I think the first time I came to this church was 1989 or 1990. It's changed a little bit. Um, but it's a real joy to be here. And I, before I begin the sermon, I just want to pause for a moment, ask the Lord's blessing. Let's pray. Father, we come before you <clears throat> this morning as sons and daughters of the living God. We come as those who are chosen by you and redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And we are indwelt with Christ and the Spirit in such a way that we are being led out of a life of sin and into a life of righteousness. And at the same time, Lord, we confess openly that we struggle and the thing that we need so badly is the word of God. And so I pray that you would give me utterance and that it would be true to the scriptures and that it would be about God, with God at the very center, and with the message that the word of God has for us as our great hope. And I pray all these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, we, <clears throat> we live in a world that is becoming increasingly anti-Christian. Some might say that this country was never a Christian nation, and perhaps not, but if you study the history of our nation, you find that the Word of God shaped our world here, and that the Christian church um, set the, the tone for our world economically, um, culturally, socially, um, spiritually, and in every way, really. But in the last number of years, we have seen the foundation that was laid so beautifully by God through his people uh, begin to crumble more and more. We have seen um, our, our whole way of life drifting from, from its moorings, and uh, we have lost um, we have lost our heading, and it, it's very discouraging, especially for someone who is absent from this country for a number of months and comes back only to find that it's shifted again, and then again, and then again. Uh, we are in a post-Christian era, not a Christian era, and we are in a really a bad place from a spiritual perspective. Perspective, And sadly, we often see this drift away in, uh, in the church itself because we uh, have, in many churches, man-centered worship. We have a health-wealth gospel, and people seem often to be more interested in the things of this world and happiness in this life than in pleasing God and um, in the hope of heaven. Um, I, I want you to know that if you struggle with the way things have been going and are going and apparently will continue to grow, if you would just, in your mind, travel back to the very first century, you would find a world that was essentially devoid of the Christian faith, um, a time in which Christians were so marginalized, they were almost non-existent. 
considered by their culture to be just a subset or a cult of Judaism, and the Jews disdained them because they followed this Jesus of Nazareth that the Roman government actually executed publicly naked in shame. And they had nothing, really. They had nothing they were, they were losing because they'd never, they'd never had it. And it cost them to be Christians. They often lost their families. Um, sometimes they lost their way of life because uh, the community did not accept them. Um, sometimes they lost uh, their friends because when bad things happened in the culture, it was the Christians at fault because they wouldn't worship the, the gods. And sometimes they even forfeited their very lives for Christ. It was a hard time to live. I think immeasurably harder than it is for us today in the home of the brave and the land of the free. But I want to take you back this morning for a few minutes to the very first century. And I want to take you back to a people that struggled. I want to take you back to a people that had a really hard time of it, and yet they persevered in the faith. And as I, as I read the Bible and as I read the book of Revelation, I have to ask myself, how did they do it? One of my very favorite people, and I can't wait to meet this guy in heaven, is a man by the name of Matthew Henry. If you haven't read Matthew Henry, you are... Um, in need of reading Matthew Henry. This is what he said. A firm persuasion that we are in the true way to heaven will be the best motive to stand fast and to persevere therein. The hope of heaven. And, and that is what God gives us throughout the really the Old and New Testaments but especially in the book of Revelation, it's the hope of heaven. Now, when God created the heavens and the earth, we know that God saw what he had created, and the Hebrew text says God saw that it was tov meod, not good, very good, without any flaw, without any problem, without any negative of any kind. And there in the garden, God dwelt with his people, Adam and then later Eve. And it was perfect environment, perfect relationship. Everything was absolutely perfect. And then sin entered into the world. In fact, I, I think we could safely say they already had heaven on earth. They didn't need heaven. They were created to live forever and ever and ever in perfect environment. And then there was, of course, Genesis chapter 3, and we have the fall. And in the fall, all that changed. And so paradise was lost. And the hope of the Bible from Genesis 3 on is that there would be paradise regained. Really, the story of the Bible is the hope of heaven. The hope of a new Eden. The hope of a new heaven and a new earth. 
And so Revelation chapter 21 gives us that hope. Now bear in mind, Revelation 21 comes on the heels of Revelation 20, which comes after Revelation chapters 1 through 19. And from chapter 6 through chapter 19 in Revelation, we have God, God defeating all his enemies and ours again and again and again and again. And when we get to the end of chapter 20, we have God, he's destroyed all his enemies. They've all been cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever and ever. The beast, the false prophet, the whore, and all that follow them are gone. And the heavens and the earth are destroyed. And God gives us a new heaven and a new earth. I'm reading from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. This is the word of God. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God. He will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now, I have seven points to make from this text. Seven is the number of perfection. And this will be the perfect sermon. Just kidding. Thank you for laughing. Well, here's our hope. This is the hope. This is the hope that enables us to persevere, to conquer, and to be true to the Lord. And so, first of all, what, what do we see? Well, we see a new heaven and a new earth. Now, as I said, God created the heavens and he created the earth and he said tov meod. Or he, it, we read that he saw that it was tov meod. And then we have the fall. And at the fall, it distorted the entire, the entire world God had created. It, it's like a beautiful portrait that has just been slashed and marked and cut up and ruined. And in need of restoration. So what we have is rather than perfect environment, we now have a world with thorns 
and thistles. Uh, rather than having work that is pure joy, we have man who will work by the sweat of his brow. Rather than having women give birth to children with great pleasure, we have pain in childbirth. Rather than having marriages that are heaven on earth, we have marriages with conflict between husband and wife, except for mine. By the way, yesterday was our 45th wedding anniversary. This is a good woman. She's tolerated a very imperfect man. Thank you. And the fellowship that was supposed to be perfect between human beings and God is now broken. And they're cast from Eden. And off they go. And we see conflict after conflict after conflict between humankind from that point on. And there is war, cosmic war, between the serpent's that is Satan's seed and the woman's seed, which is Messiah. And, and so that is human history now from the fall on. But we have the hope of a new heaven and a new earth. And that really is what we need to be hoping for. I, when I was a boy, I, I was a little boy, and my brother was uh, nine years my senior. He was into high school. I was just a little guy. And he bought a record by Hank Williams. Some of you may have heard of Hank Williams, the, 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 the first one. And the title of the record was, and it was one of those big ones, you know. The title is for the little ones. The title of the record, the record was uh, the song, and it was I'll Never Get Out of This World Alive. You should listen to that on YouTube. I mean, it is misery after misery after misery after misery. And if you read from Genesis 4 on, that, that, that's what we have. Genesis 3 on, that is life. And so we long for a new heaven and we long for a new earth. And God has promised that from Genesis 3 where the Adam and Eve got the animal skins which has to prefigure the shedding of blood and they are promised that Messiah would defeat Satan which has to point to Christ and the, the cosmic war that goes and that ultimately God wins and there will be a restoration. And, and so that, that follows all the way through. And, and even the creation that also fell has the hope of restoration as you read Romans chapter 8. So that's the first thing, new heavens, new earth. And it's going to be absolutely perfecto beyond anything we could imagine. Secondly, the sea was no more. For those of you that like to go out in the Gulf of Mexico, I don't know what to tell you. Except this, the book of Revelation is full of symbols. And it's possible that there is a sea. I don't know how literal to take this. But what I do know is the symbology here points to what the sea, the sea was understood to be by the ancients, especially by the Israelites. It was a place where evil lurked. It's the place from which the beast would come in Revelation. And it was no place any Israelite wanted to be. And as John wrote this, it was given this vision. It was meant to communicate that, that in the new heaven and in the new earth, there would be absolutely no danger whatsoever. I remember as a little boy, some of you probably as a small child remember, way back when, people didn't lock their doors. 
We go to bed at night, didn't lock the doors. You go off for the weekend, you don't lock your doors. Now we keep our doors locked during the day. It's a different world. But in the new heaven and the new earth, there will be nothing to fear, no locks on the doors, and maybe no doors, who knows. But it will be absolutely, totally, completely safe in every possible way. Thirdly, we're given a sort of a description of this new earth because the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven adorned as a bride for her husband. And of course, you know, we're the bride of Christ being adorned for Jesus. But th this picture is really the wedding day. And if you're married or been to a wedding, uh, you can appreciate this. The ancient people to whom this was written really understood this. They made great celebrations with weddings. And they would look and they would see the bride and she would be in all her just pristine beauty coming down to have the wedding. And, and, and that's the picture here. And, I, you know, I think the greatest wedding, the greatest joining together was in Genesis chapter 2 when God made Eve out of Adam's side. And Adam said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And he was utterly amazed. Well, that's the way it will be for us in this Jerusalem that comes down in which we will dwell. We will be so intoxicated and amazed and beside ourselves that this is greater than anything I could ever even hope for. I can't imagine something this great. And it will be better than that. The fourth thing is that the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Now, there's a history here, and we need to always keep the Bible story in mind. My wife will be teaching a course this fall in narratology. She's been studying all summer to try to figure out what is narratology, and she's got it figured out. It's just the study of narrative. And the Bible is a story from Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. And the story begins with God dwelling with his people. Uh, Eden was God's uh, temple, his, 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 his tabernacle, his dwelling. God was living there with Adam and Eve and then the garden. And so God cast them out so they can't dwell with God any longer. And so later with the Israelites, God says, I want you to build me a tabernacle. I'm going to dwell with you. And I dwell in the tabernacle. And, of course, there was a holy place and the holy of holies. And, and we know a little bit about the tabernacle from reading um, in the Old Testament. But this was God's dwelling place to signify that God dwells with his people. And then a little bit later, down the road with the Israelites, there was the temple. And that was a... That was not a, a, a portable temple. That was, we are now situated in Jerusalem, and we will be there, and I will be there with you, and this is your city. You are my people, and I dwell with my people. And then Jesus comes. Praise God. And John tells us in John chapter 1, and the word became flesh and dwelt, that is tabernacle. The Greek word here that is being used by John is skene. He tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory 
as of the only Son come from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, that was for three years. But we'll, we will be in the presence of the Lord our God for all eternity with no sin and no struggle and uh, nothing but perfect relationship with him and one another. And the fifth thing John says is God will be with them as their God. Um, I want to make a slight correction because the Greek doesn't have the word as in it. And it reads a little more woodenly. It reads like this. Uh, God himself with them shall be their God. God himself with them shall be their God. God with them. And it should remind us, of course, of Isaiah 7, or as the British say, Isaiah 7. And my uh, African Ugandans say Isaiah 7, but also Matthew chapter 1, because you, he shall be Emmanuel. He shall be Emmanuel. Now, where in the New Testament is Jesus ever called Emmanuel? Matthew chapter 1. He was called Jesus, which essentially means Yahweh saves. But Emmanuel is God with us. And so this, this, this was more of a title than a proper name. It's more of a, a job description. Jesus Christ was and is God with us. And so for all eternity, we shall have this close proximity with Jesus. You know, to be absent from the body is to be where? In the presence of the Lord. And it's faster than that. We're there with Jesus. Uh, not with a resurrection body yet, but there, we're there with Jesus. Well, in, in the new heavens, the new earth, we shall be with Jesus in resurrection bodies. And all of the people of God will gather to him, and it will be more glorious than anything you could ever imagine. Some of us have thought, well, if only I could have been one of the disciples in the first century and been with Jesus. Well, you would have failed. I would have failed. I won't speak for you. Much worse than Peter, I'm sure, um, and much worse than Thomas. I'm really, really sure. Uh, but in, in heaven with him, it, it will be God with us, and we'll be absolutely perfect. We couldn't sin if we wanted to, and we won't want to. Praise be to God. Um, the sixth thing is John tells us here that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Um, uh, we live in a world of agony and we live a in a world of suffering and we live in a world of pain. And if you're not struggling with something today, it probably will be there this coming week. Uh, that's just the way it works. And sometimes it's little things, and sometimes it's big things. But there's always seems to be something, doesn't there? And that's just the world in which we live. Disappointment is our middle name. We often speak, well, I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn these lemons into lemonade. What if there were no lemons? What a world that would be. It's absolutely, per it's already better than lemonade. And that will be our eternal state 
with the Lord. And I just want to mention just for a second death because everyone in this room, I think, at least those who are old enough to know, understand a little bit about death. Uh, many of us as little people, uh, grandfather, grandmother, some friend, someone, mom, dad, someone dies, and it's the strangest thing. It's just, how, what is this? Our, if you can remember back, and then as you get older, it happens more and more and more. And as you get to be my age, it happens a whole lot. And you sometimes wonder, well, when will it be my turn? Um, we, we have a plumber friend. Uh, we, had a, we had a plumber who died from COVID, by the way, and the guy that replaced him worked for him and with him, and he came to our house a few, uh, well, a month or so ago, and he, we just asked, how you doing, Dion, and how's life? And he says, well, it's, yeah, pretty good. Business is good, and, but uh, my father died. I said, oh, so sorry to hear that. He said, yeah, it was the strangest, it was the strangest thing. He said, my dad had such good health. And right through age 74. And then when he turned 75, he just began to go downhill, and he died in his 75th year. And my wife looks over at my 74-year-old self and goes, well, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But death is part of a world that we live in. It's our world, and God did not originally intend it that way or make it that way I should say but the eternal state there will be no death God hates death worse than we he really does and he hates it so much he sent his son to live a perfect life and to die in our place to take the penalty and guilt of our sin and then to rise again from the dead overcoming death and those of us who trust in Jesus Christ overcome death we really don't die by the way as Christians the Bible says we fall asleep. And what a sleep that will be to wake up immediately in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. So death will be no more. The last thing that I want to mention here, and I close with this, is who will inherit heaven. Do you want to go there? I really want to go there. And I'm ready anytime, Lord. But who gets to go? John tells us exactly who gets to go. So stay with me here because we're going to look again at chapter one, uh, 21, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for now, and bear in mind, this is spoken to the first century church, to people that are struggling in a context where the world does not want them and often abuses them. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. So who, in, who inherits those who are thirsty and those who conquer? Those who are thirsty and those who conquer. Are you thirsty? Are you conquering? Someone says, you're teaching work salvation. I am not. 
I'm simply reflecting what the Bible says of a salvation that actually works. God justifies us and frees us from the penalty of sin. God one day will glorify us and free us from the presence of sin. Right now, God, the Spirit, indwells us, and God is sanctifying us and freeing us from the power of sin. That's what he's doing. That's what the Christian life is, a life of sanctification. And in that life of sanctification, as we struggle with our own sin and the sins of others, and the hard, this is not an easy world, I know that. We remain thirsty for Christ. We continue to conquer. How do we do that? Do we live a sinless life? I don't. If you do, I'd like for you to tell me your secret. And then let's go talk to Paul in Romans chapter 7 and ask him how he failed if we, if we succeed. We struggle. But what do we do when we struggle? We repent. We confess just like we did in the worship today. And so the Christian life is a life of repentance and faith and repentance and faith and repentance and faith and focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And by his grace, by his mercy, by his work in us, not our doing on our own. He gives us a thirst for righteousness, a thirst for Christ, and the ability to conquer, to overcome, to stay the course. And these first century Christians did that, and they turned the world upside down. Why? Because God enabled them through the hope of the glory that is in heaven to follow Christ and to live for Christ and to stay true to Christ and to bring glory to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the book of Revelation. We thank you for the whole of the Bible and the hope that is given to us in the Bible, the hope of the heavenly glory. We pray, Father, that you would encourage each one of us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and on the guarantee of the glory that awaits us. And may it urge us to follow him, to honor him, to glorify him, regardless of the cost to us here and now. For the glory that awaits us is beyond any real description. We pray these things in Christ's name.